For those who don't know me, my name's Horawai. Uh, back in 1997, when I was at university, I decided that my life was pretty okay. I was doing a lot of the stuff that I was enjoying, but there was always this nagging thing that used to always sit in the back of my mind, and that was, what is life about? And is this all that life has to offer? So at the end of 1997, I finally knelt down and asked God into my life. So that would be roughly around 13 or 14 years ago, maybe even longer, 16 years ago, 17 years ago. Oh, my goodness. So about 17 years ago, thank you, I invited the Lord into my life. And the reason I did that was because I knew that there was something missing, but I just couldn't pinpoint what it was. And the, and the biggest thing that I've learned over those 17 years is this one factor. And the fact is, is that we're in a battlefield. Did you know that the first thing that, one of the first scriptures I got from God was in the book of Psalms. And it was, um, the scripture was Psalms 144 verse 1. And it was, blessed be the Lord, our rock, who trains our hand for war, our fingers for battle. And I thought, why would he be training our hands for war and our fingers for battle? What battle? I'm not in the army. I'm not serving anything. I'm not out there beating people up or trying to kill people. So what battle was he talking about? Well, there's a nice ringtone there. I won't point you out, Marianne. Oh, it's not you. <laughs> so that was, a, that was the first thing that God showed me was that we were in a battlefield. And so I started looking around. And in that moment, my eyes started to open up to this fact that was going on. And the fact was, was that we weren't, I wasn't fighting against other people which I thought I would be. I wasn't fighting against um, circumstances or situations, but what I was fighting against was principalities and powers. I didn't even know about this thing. But what I started to realise was, on the first day I took my breath, and this is for all of us, the first day we took our first breath, we landed upon a battlefield. And that battlefield we are walking through right now because we're in a war zone. If you don't believe me, turn the TV on. What do you see on TV? You see wars. You see people killing each other. But we think of a battlefield as... I guess we think of a battlefield as a lot of men... Sorry, a lot of soldiers because they're women in the war now. A lot of soldiers with guns, tanks, bullets, bombs going off. You know, airstrikes happening. So every time we think of a battle, we're always thinking that type of war. Why? Because that's the war that they want us to be programmed to. And as I started to watch it and more and more, I started to realize, well, why is that? Why is my perception of battle in a war zone to do with killing and fighting? Because as God started to lead me through his word, I started to come across a realisation that actually that's not the war. We've been deceived. The biggest deception we have all swallowed 
has been that it's against flesh and blood. And when we swallow that pill that it's all against flesh and blood, we become stuck in our own mindsets. We become stuck in our own ways. We look at people differently. I mean, to say, who cares if someone dresses different to me? Who cares if they talk different to me? Who cares if they look different to me? Who even cares if their hygiene standard isn't the same as mine? Seriously. And yet we walk around this earth looking and judging and casting an eye upon every person we walk past, believing that that is the battle. But actually, that's not the battle. That's a deception that we've all fallen for. And, you know, even from the, a young age, we're all taught this thing. We're taught cultural, cultural beliefs. We're taught family traditions. And for most of us, we'll defend that to the bitter end. Why? Because someone else has a different viewpoint to us? Because someone may not agree with the way we see the world? And yet here we are, soldiering on, believing this is the will of God. We must uphold who we are. Because when we do, oh, we are fulfilling the will of God. However, the will of God is totally different to our perception. Because in the book of Ephesians, we find out who the true enemy is and what the true battle is. And in the book of Ephesians in chapter 6, verse 12, it says we don't war against flesh and blood. What? Yes, we do. We war against each other. We war against our loved ones. We war against our neighbors. Do you know the, the fastest selling programs in the world are reality shows? Not the reality shows that show people doing good stuff for people, but reality shows where people are warring against each other. And people tune in. And this is how subtle it can be. Uh, there's a program called Mighty Teen Dream Home, The Block. Uh, some others. All these little subtle things where you tune in and you think, oh, look at these teams competing against each other. Oh, it's awesome. I choose that one. I don't like that one. Oh, I like that personality, not that personality. And so what we're doing is we're accustoming ourselves to believing that this battle is being played out against people. But actually, the real true battle is we don't war against flesh and blood. But who we do war against is principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of this age, and spiritual hosts and wickedness, uh, spiritual hosts in the heavenlies. That's who we're warring against. We're not warring against each other. And yet we've all swallowed this bitter pill. Why is it that we've been attuned and accustomed to believing this? What's the big deal? You know, when I first got saved, I had this view that, man, God loved me. If he can love me, he can love anyone. And so my goal was to get out there and tell people. But then as I started to journey out there, I started to strike people who I thought were like-minded. And then I started getting told, oh, no, we don't go to those people. Oh, no, those people believe this. And, oh, you've got to watch out for those people. Oh, those people will pull you back into that life. 
And so slowly but surely, I start to move away from what God had first originally spoke to me about, and that was people. And there's two, there's two great commandments. The first commandment is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second one is love your neighbor as yourself. Two. I'm sure most of us here would put our hands up and say, oh, I love the Lord. Amen. And then would also put the other hand up and say, I love people as myself. What you've got to be careful of, though, is uh, there's always someone around watching your hand gestures when you're driving. <laughs> there's always someone walking past just as a word slips out about someone else. And all that tells us is that we still haven't got the understanding of what the Lord has given us. And the Lord said the battle is against principalities and powers. But here's the good news. He said he's defeated them. In Colossians 2.15, he declares he disarmed all principalities and powers, making a spectacle of them or putting them on show. So that why did he put them on show? So that we could all see the blueprint and the battle plan of the enemy. And what was the enemy's blueprint and plan? Go back to the garden. What was the first thing he did to Eve? He deceived her. What did he do to Adam? Deceived him as well. So we know that the enemy is out to deceive us. That's his weapon. Why do we need the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit sheds light. And as soon as we have light, there's no more deception. But how do we get caught up in believing it's God's will and yet it probably isn't? What do I mean by that? How is it that we can make out that we're doing something for the Lord and yet actually if everything was stripped back, we would actually see that there are a lot of heart motives behind it. Where does that come from? Because I know all of us, look, all of us sitting here today, if you read the word of God, you'll see in there that Jesus did mighty works and he said, mightier than these will you do and will I do. So where is it that we've stopped and we've fallen short of what he said we could have? What place have we got to where we've said, mm, bit too hard? Jesus gives us a good example on how we're to war against this invisible enemy. Now I'll probably say that most people don't even believe there's an invisible enemy. But Jesus gives us an example. The first thing that I, have, that I realized was, if you read Jesus' life story, first thing you realize was he was born of the Spirit. What does that mean? He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. The first thing that a believer should have is the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, you have nothing. The second thing was it says that when Jesus was about 12 years old, he was found in the temple. There's a story about how they go up to, to the temple to give their, to give their um, offering at a certain time. And as the family left, it wasn't until they had journeyed, I don't know, couple of days or whatever it says and then they suddenly realized hey we've lost a little fella where is he 
And so they backtrack. And when they backtrack to the city, where is he? He's sitting with all the renowned people who knew the word of God, and he's learning. So what should that tell us? The first thing it should tell us is, remember, this is all a spiritual battle. So the first thing it should tell us is that we need the Holy Spirit. Second thing it should tell us is we need the word. But we don't just need the word, we need to know the word. Because all of a sudden at the age of 12, he's sitting there and he's questioning, why? Why is this? Why is that? Doesn't it say this? Doesn't it say that? Do we do that? Do we sit around and question the word? Do we go with other believers and say, what are you getting? I'm getting this. What are you getting? Do we ever test it? Or do we just say, I'll listen to whoever. Whatever they say, well, that should be okay. Jesus' example was he was there and he was questioning. Are you sure that's right? Really? Really? Because I tell you what, if you put the pressure on people and ask them, is that really true? You'll find a lot of them will go straight back to the Bible. Um, uh, uh, what, what, um, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure it is. And yet it should be in here. If you're learning it, it should already be in here. The next thing we learn about Jesus was he gets baptized by John. So we know that baptism should be a part of this progression into warfare. The next part is it says Holy Spirit came upon him and empowered him. Empowered him for what? Empowered him and led him to a certain place. Where was he led? Into the wilderness. What for? To be tempted. What does that mean? That means that now he had learnt the word of God. He was baptised. The Spirit of God was upon him. Now was a time of testing. Do you really know who you are? Do you know what you carry? Do you know where the warfare is? The first thing, the first temptation, as we know it, says what? If you're the Son of God, turn these stones to bread. And I know I've heard a lot about this, but for me, I always take that as the first thing he attacked was the way that the person looked and the way that the person saw themselves. So the bread, even though it was talking about food for the natural body, that's talking about body image. So the first thing he tried to attack him was his body image. Now can you imagine? Here he is, he's fasted 40 days, 40 nights. So he's quite skinny. Look, the last time I did a 40-day fast on, my wife turned around on, I don't know, 30 days, and she said, dude, you need to stop. You're looking shocking. No, I thought I was feeling pretty good. Skinny for the first time in my life. <laughs> and she was just like, no, no, no. You need to put some food in. So the first thing we know that we will have to battle with is our self-image. No, look, I'm too tall, too short, too fat, too skinny. White, black, yellow, red, green, whatever it is. Oh, my hair's too long, got no hair. Losing my hair, not really, ooh, mohawk. Whatever it is, we're all out there, and these are the things that we first have to deal with. Because if we don't deal with it, when we step out into the world, carrying the king of glory within us, and someone turns around and says, oh, you look strange. Straight away, we backpedal. I don't like that person. Now we're back in the flesh, war against the flesh. So we have to make sure that our image of ourselves lines up with what the word of God says. 
And if the word of God says that this is the type of person you are, don't fall for the deception. Now, it's easy to fall for the deception, I know, because it comes with people who are close to you. Then again, it just darn right comes with rude people and people who don't care. But if you're not founded in the word, then you will be led astray by thinking it's all about your image. And when you think like that, you can't reach out and touch other people. Why is that? Because every time you look at them, you'll be judging them. Am I better than that person? Do I look better than that person? Instead of seeing the gold that's within that person. What is the gold within that person? The same gold that Jesus saw in you and I. The second temptation leads us into where he said, oh, he took him up into the holy host city and he placed him on the highest temple. You know what that means? To me, that means position and status. Oh, this is a hard one for the men to swallow because it's about position and status. So, you know, we have this at work. So I work at the hospital and I work in a multidisciplinary team. And so that just means that I work with doctors, nurses, social workers, psychologists, you name it. So we all sit in this team. There's about 22 of us. And every time we get students in, never fails. So a student will come over, a nursing student or a psychologist student or whatever student, and they walk into our meeting. And we all sit there. And as they walk in, they're like, morning, morning. And we're all oh, morning. And then they sit down. And then what do we do? We do the position and the status thing on them. Well, we're just going to do a round of um, names just to welcome you here. So we'll start with, hi, my name is so-and-so. I'm Dr. So-and-so. Hi, my name is so-and-so. I'm a clinical psychologist. Hello. I'm a, by the time it gets around to them, which is always the last person, listen, I'm a poor student. Why? Because we have set them up on this whole status and position thing. And what we do, and all of us do this in some shape or form, is we rank each other. I know we all make out we don't, but we do. We walk into a place and we immediately look around at people and we think, and all you need is some smart aleck to turn around and say, I own this. And you think, oh, I don't own that. So that person goes, then you think, I'm here. So you're not going to talk to that person. Go over to this side of the room. Is she not over here that I may be able to be? And then they turn around and they say, well, you know, I'm this and I'm that. And, ooh, I run a business. She, yeah. So that person goes, I'm still here. So I'll go over to this side of the room. Oh, I've got to find someone, surely. And then after you sort of mingle with a few people, listen to a few conversations, you finally realise, bummer. Maybe I'm the lowest in the room. And that is about... Seeking position and status. And when we do that, we always look at people, we'll always cast a judging eye, and we'll never ever see the gold in them. The third temptation that Jesus had to face and overcome was, and this is a killer, wealth and riches. You know, we all get brought up in this world system where, hey, let's just go after it. The wealth you are, the more stuff you have, you're a success, man. And then you can look down on everyone else and say, oh, you poor thing. 
But you know, if you worked hard like I have, made good decisions, you could have what I have too. And yet, that there is another trap. And it's another deception. Why? Because Mark spoke about it just when he stood up. He said, how many of us get stuff and think that it's just for ourselves? And think as long as we've got this, oh, it makes me better than other people. When we think like that, we won't engage people. The only people we will engage are people that we think are either above us or equal with us. Think about all the people down below. Who cares? And that's the mentality the mentality that a lot of us have, whether we know it or not. So why am I saying all of this? Why have I brought it up? You know, God's heart was, if he so loved the world that he gave his only son, has his love stopped for them? How did we end up here? How did we even get to know him? Was it because maybe one of these people or a person managed to deal with a lot of this stuff in their lives? Because that was the temptation that Jesus had to go through. He had to go through to make sure that he knew it wasn't about looks. It wasn't about whether my hair and my makeup and my clothes were the best. He understood that. So then he moved on to the next one. Okay, it's not about position. Yes, I am. I am part of the Trinity, part of God. Yes, at any moment I can call angels down to help me. But no, 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 no. no. So he dealt with that one. Moved on to the last one. He knew it wasn't about riches because the riches is not about what we have. Because as the word says, as soon as you die, where's it going? You ain't taking it with you. Your kids are going to get a hold of it. <laughs> oh, that's a beautiful thought. <laughs> and all of your hard work and all of your suffering and sacrifice, they're just going to take it and then, yes, we off. Partay. So we know that none of those are the true battle. So therefore, it must bring us back to the spiritual realm. But how do we win in the spiritual realm? How do we even engage it when we don't even know Really, it exists. Anyone? Because this is the question that keeps burning in my heart, is I know what God has called me to do, and I know what God has called me to be. But how do I transition from being here into the fullness of what God says I can have? Because I know if it's not blocked at his end, man, oh, reality means it must be blocked at my end which is a painful pill to swallow. Because that means that when I went through the wilderness of temptation, I probably still have work to do in there, which is okay. Because we know that after he dealt with those issues, then what does the Word of God say? It says that after he dealt with those issues... It says that he came out of the wilderness and started preaching the kingdom. He not only preached the kingdom, he showed people the kingdom. They got a touch of the kingdom. What do I mean by that? It says he came out and he started saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He started to heal the sick. He started to heal the brokenhearted. He started setting people free from all the bondages. 
We heard the story about the loaves and fishes. He fed people. Everything he did happened after the wilderness experience. Not before, but after. So if it happened after the wilderness experience, then that should be a good indication to us. We've got a whole city here. In fact, we've got two cities and a rural area that we need to start to push out into, start to bring the kingdom to. Why is that? Because if we're sitting here with all of our mess and junk, imagine them that don't know God, who don't have Holy Spirit. So is it worth our while spending the time in the wilderness to get rid of this stuff, to shake this deception from us so that we can get out there into the real battle? Or are we going to spend most of our lives sitting around thinking we're all that and so much more? Yeah, the Word of God says that you'll know my you'll know my followers by their fruit. Now I'm not here to condemn anyone. Heck, I'm in the same boat. I'm reading through the Word. I'm sifting. I'm trying to find out how, how, how. And if I'm doing that, I'm sure there'll be others. So what's holding us all back? And so then I go back into the Word, and here's a cool thing. You know, God is so faithful. Holy Spirit will always speak to you if you want him to. And so I'm in there and I'm thinking, what are we going to do? What can I do? And then God takes me to a story. And it wasn't so much about the story. It was just this little point in the story that he took me to. And he said to me, do you know that uh, one time there was this battle? And I had my man Moses up on a hill. And I had him doing something very specific. And I remembered, that's right, he was praying, wasn't he? Holy Spirit said, very good. He said, but what was he doing when he was praying? So he had his hands lifted up. The Holy Spirit said, what happened when his hands started to go down because he got tired? He said, they started to lose the battle. He said, how many hands do you think are lifted up in Hastings and Napier around the Hawke's Bay, where the battle, where my people are winning the battle. Now, obviously I don't know the answer to that. So then he takes me to the other side. And he said, well, if so many hands are up in the air worshipping and praying, then are you guys making inroads? And so I look at my life and I think, yeah, of course I can say, yes, yes, we'll make the inroads. But is it really the inroads that the Word of God says that we can make? And I'd have to say, no, I'm falling well short of it. And this is just me being honest. Do I want to see more? Absolutely. So then what would it take to bring us to that place? And this is the word that I felt that God was speaking to me over the last two weeks for today. And it was one word, simple word, and that word was charge! And I thought, charge the credit card, charge the battery, cut it out. And the more I thought about it, I thought, no, come on, Lord, it's got to be something else, surely not. And I kept hearing this word, charge! Why would you want me to charge? Charge at what? And all he kept saying was, charge! Charge, charge. And then I started to realize, hang on, the word he first showed me was, 
Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war, my fingers for battle. He's telling us to charge. Charge into what? Charge into battle. We're already on the battlefield. We're already in the war zone. He's trying to get us to get out from our hiding places and make a stand. And I want to finish with this story. It's a true story. And it goes like this. Back in about 1941, now this story was passed down from a grandfather to a son who passed it down to his son. I wasn't that son, but I know the, I know the people. And so the story goes like this. So in 1941, when war, was, war had broken out, Second World War, in New Zealand, there's a battalion. Now, a battalion was made up of roughly around 700 to 750 soldiers. And this battalion was called the 5th Battalion. Now, from the 5th Battalion, a lot of the Māoris around the country signed up for. And so, hence the reason they all got put into what they called the Māori Battalion. They all went off to war thinking, woohoo, we're off on a holiday. You know, cruise over there, see the world, come back with some cool stories and maybe some uh, treasures and spoils. But they got sent to this island called Crete. And on this island, they had not really encountered battle. But they were in a war zone. And they were in battle. And so they all land on this island of Crete. It wasn't too long when they were there that they started to realise that things weren't as what they expected and they started to lose ground. Because in that time, the Germans launched what they called... and They had like paratroopers. So they dropped all their soldiers out of planes... And so what happened was in a very short time, a couple of weeks, they managed to start to take over the whole of Crete. And as they were taking over, all of the allies were pulling back because they realised it was hopeless. What happened was all the allies got separated. And as they got separated, confusion set in the camp. And when confusion set in the camp, no one really knew who was in command. And so everyone's trying to rush back to wherever the safe place was. Others thought, help will come. Help will come, but no help came. And so they were having to make decisions. And what happened was there's a, there's a group of the Māori battalion who got pushed right back. And as they got pushed back, they ended up on this street. And it was named 42nd Street. And you can look it up if you want. This version you won't get on the net because this was passed down from a guy that was there. But they kept on getting pushed back, pushed back. And by the time they got to 42nd Street, it was just this little dirt road, which was only about 2Ks long, not very wide. And on the other side was like a lot of vineyards and that. And so the German enemy were coming through. And they had like 1,500 men. And they had tanks and they had everything. They were well equipped. Within that two-week withdrawal, the army lost most of their supplies. They were running out of ammunition. Nothing was coming up to them at the front line. And so they were really starting to get desperate. So as they pulled back, behind them was the whole Allied force that were getting evacuated on ships. And what happened was they got pinned down on the street, 42nd Street. 
And while they were putting down there, this is the story that I was told. That they were all sitting there and it was starting to come down to dark and they knew that they probably wouldn't last another night because they had no food left. They all just had a few bullets each and the whole German army they could hear and they could hear them advancing closer and closer. And so one smart person, obviously they didn't think he was smart at the time, thought, right, if we're going to die, let's die with honour. And so this is what he does. He looks at his men, which just happened to be the Maldives, and he says, wait, when I get the signal, we're going to charge. And they all look back at him. Are you kidding? Don't you know they got real bullets? We stand up, they'll shoot us, we die. And he looks up and he says, we're on a battlefield. We either engage or we don't. And so what they did was they all put their bandits on and then they all sat there and then he goes, are you ready? And they're all sitting there. And the captain jumps up and he says, charge! And all he hears is, pew, 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 pew. and he looks around and there's no one with him. So he jumps back down on the hole and he looks at all of his men and he's like, what's going on? And they're all looking at him like, Nah, mate. It wasn't only New Zealanders there. There were Australians, there were Greeks, and there were British. So all up there was about 200 in this terrain. 1,500 men come come towards him. So the second time he looks at his men and he said, Man, if they shoot me, I'm going to shoot you when I'm coming back down. I'll make sure I'll shoot one of you. So he jumps back up and he goes, are you ready? Everyone's like, yes, yes, yes. He jumps up. Charge! Bang, bang, bang. Jumps like an always like, man, we are just not in sync here. And they're all looking at him like, dude, you want to get killed? Go right ahead. And so on the third time, he finally said, if no one comes with me, I'd rather get shot and die than hide in a hole like a coward. And so he jumps up and he yells out, charge! All of a sudden, one guy jumps up out of the hole. True story. And he starts going, Come come True story. One man. And immediately when the rest of the Maldives heard that, they all started jumping up too. No bullets! And they're all standing along in a line doing the haka. While the Germans are shooting them. Bang, bang, trying to shoot them. But what that did was that sent out a war cry. And when the war cry went out along the line, every single man jumped up. And what they did was because of the loudness of their war cry, it sent the enemy running. Because they started thinking, holy heck, there's more people. Did they bring them in overnight? And so what they did was this 200 men charged. Because they thought, well, we got nothing to lose. And they charged with their bandits, and they went through. And that, and that day, they managed to kill over 100 and something soldiers while the rest of the army pulled right back, which gave the Allied forces time to load everyone else onto the boat and to exit. So why do I say that? That is a cool story. 
But what I get from that story is at some point we need to draw a line. And at some point we're going to have to get out of those trenches and we're going to have to attack. They had no bullets. It was all hand-to-hand combat. 200 soldiers against 15. And they pushed them right back seven miles in one day. And in that one day, thousands of Allied troops were loaded onto boats. What are we going to do for our community? Are we going to charge? Or are we going to just watch someone get shot? When someone jumps up and says, I want to do this. And then other people say, oh, one of those crazy Christians. Look at them. Sit down. Shut up. Oh, they go back into the hole. And the rest of us say, told you. Told. Didn't I tell you? Didn't I tell you? See, I'm always right. Or are we going to wait for someone to say, charge! And someone else get up and say, I'm with you! And someone else says, me too! And then we move out into the community. Because if we can get that mindset and we can get the deception off us, we will do that. And it's more, we can, you know, the Word of God says this, one can set a thousand to flight, two ten thousand. What would three, four, five, six or seven But how do we engage? First and foremost, we must commit. We must go back to that wilderness and see what was in there. Because if we walked out before our timing was right, we won't get out of the hole. Second thing we can do, start lifting our hands up. Increase your prayer life. Because when you increase your prayer life, your vision becomes clear. Get the word of God into you. Get around people who have the word of God in them. Let them stir you. You stir them. And then let's look at the people outside and remember the battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against principalities and powers. Because right now inside of every single one of us is a warrior waiting to get out. Most warriors are asleep. Wake that warrior up. Tell him, get up. It's time to go to war. We're already in the battlefield. Let's do it. Amen. Amen. Just as we close, there's a couple of things that I did learn. One thing is, for some of us, that warrior has not yet been awakened. And that talks about, if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Saviour, If you don't have the Holy Spirit in your life, that's the first step to awaking the warrior. And I want to offer it to you today. I'm not going to get you to come out here. I'm going to to get you just to ask yourself, does my warrior need awakening? And if the answer is yes, then by all means come and see me. The second people that are in here today, your warrior may be awake but he may be malnourished. He may be skinny. He may be weak. But that's okay. Because the word of God does declare that if you thirst and hunger, that he will feed you. So the second lot of people, you need to get around people with the word. You need to get word inside of you. The word of God inside of you. Feed your spirit. Because when your spirit starts to be fed and you become strong, you'll start to realize the potential you have. The third type of people, if you're already awake and you're already fed, then what you need is exercise. 
And you're sitting around until you get to the point where your good muscles start turning going south and looking a bit flabby. You need exercise. And if you need exercise, it's time to get up and start to do something. But I don't know what to do. You've got a whole community. Do something. Exercise. The last group of people are the ones who are already awake, already fed, already doing exercise. What we need to do is we need to pray. We need to engage the battle in the spiritual realm to remove forces over this region. The greatest force that we have in this region, and we sit statistically at one of the highest, is off a story that we have here. And the story is of the giant. And that story of the giant, just to briefly put it into words, is the giant had to do some tests. But really the true story behind it is that he was deceived and he was poisoned, murdered. So his wife which is another mountain that lays on the other side in the story, she realises what she had done to her husband. And so she throws herself off the mountain. That talks about suicide. We have two major principalities and powers sitting in this region. And if we can't shift them, then who will? We're talking about our suicide rate is the second or third highest in the country. Not only is it the second or third highest in the country, but we have the most overdoses besides from Auckland in the country as well. Why is that? Because principalities and powers are sitting here. And unless we engage in charge, they will not move. So church, today I just want to encourage you, no matter where you are, no matter what your situation is, Engage. Amen.